Thank you, Matthias, and thank you, Aiden. And boy, is it nice to see you. Literally to see you. It's just so nice to see so many people. Every week we're seeing people whom we haven't seen for months or maybe a year and a half. It's just really, really good to see. One of the nice parts of preaching in the summer series is that I could preach on any one as long as it was in book five, the last book from Psalm 107 to Psalm 150. And so I picked Psalm 116 because of how rich it is, both for those who are following Jesus and for those of us who are not yet following Jesus. For us who are believers, it's a marvelous model of relying on our God in times of trouble and indeed all times. You might ask, well, why? It's because God is a good God who listens to and cares for us. And if you're not sure about following Jesus, I think it offers a compelling vision of who God is. The view many people have of the Lord is a harsh killjoy. This psalm will give you a fresh view. And it may provide an attractive picture that those of us who are believers can discuss with our searching friends. There are three parts of the sermon, a call to the Lord, God's goodness, and our response. A call to the Lord, God's goodness, and our response. First of all, the call to the Lord. Listen to his pleas for mercy. If you turn to your scriptures, I love the Lord, verse 1, because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Notice there's more than one plea. He came to him perhaps again and again and again, saying, Lord, please provide mercy. Verse 3, he says, he was in danger of death and dying. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol, or the grave, laid hold on me. I, I, I suffered distress and anguish. And then verse 4, the call. I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul, or deliver my life. The snares of death and anguish, the snares of death and Sheol, they may refer to the psalmist either being very sick or being in danger of dying from attacks from an enemy. If you will turn to Psalm 18, you'll see a direct parallel, one that may help us understand what's going on in Psalm 118, 116. Rather. Psalm 18, verses 4 and 6, it says, in very similar language, the cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. Do you recognize some of that language? And then, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. It's very similar language to about what he was facing and about his calling on the Lord. But what's interesting is that at the top of Psalm 18, we find a description of exactly 
who wrote it and what the situation was. We read there a Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Saul, if you recall, was king of Israel, and he tried to kill David a number of times, even throwing his spear at him while he was playing the harp. Now, there's no such description at the top of our psalm, Psalm 116, but this raises the possibility that it too was written by David, and that it was written when Saul, or possibly his son Absalom, was trying to kill him. So that's the historical setting, but we may find parallels in our own lives in 2021 of being concerned about life itself. It may be times when we are sick, say from cancer or a heart attack. We may be worrying about whether we're going to live. I remember my dad uh, in 1980 finding one such verse after he had a heart attack. And he was quite weak, and in the hospital he asked me if I could find similar verses in the Psalms for him to use to call out to the Lord. Or rather than having serious health issues, we might find ourselves under direct attack, either from people in this world or from the devil and his demons. Those sorts of attacks can feel as bad or worse than being under physical assault. Psalm 143 is one that shows that kind of attack. If I hadn't picked Psalm 116, I would have picked Psalm 143. I memorized the opening verses of this and have gone to it again and again when I felt depressed. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cries, my pleas for mercy. And your faithfulness answer me. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. And then here... Here's the attacks. For the enemy has pursued me. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Now that may have been referring to Saul attacking David, but it's such a cry of despair like those long dead that it seems at least to refer to attacks from Satan and maybe Saul himself as well, who knows. But then you see what he does in verse 7. He says, answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. He makes that call to the Lord because his spirit is being crushed. So whether you find yourself close to death or under attack, Psalm 116, I would submit, is for you. But I realize that we might not be in such a dire situation. Nonetheless, can we not all relate at some points in our lives to the distress and anguish in verse 3? More indications of what he suffered are in verse 8, where he describes what he was delivered from. Verse 8, it says, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. How many of us have not been in tears at some point? or close to stumbling. What a mercy it is when the Lord prevents us from stumbling, stumbling into some great sin or stumbling from being struck down. 
How many of us have not been in tears over friends or family members? We may face intractable strife. We're not sure how we're going to make it financially or make it in school or make friends. We may have immigration issues or we're homesick or we're overwhelmed at work. Our marriage may be a challenge. We may despair of overcoming our own sin or temptations. Or we wonder when COVID will ever be over. Now, what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? We see that in verse 4. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Why not just call on the Lord? It's because God's name describes who he is and what he does. We honor him when we use his names. There's something like a thousand or more names that we can use. When we hold it, when we, we can hold him to his character by using these names. We can say, Lord, you called yourself the way, the truth, and the life. I feel lost. Will you please guide me? Or I'm drowning, but you're the rock of my salvation. Will you please hoist me up and place me on firm ground? So he called on the name of the Lord. Now, let me address something that may seem obvious, and that is the need actually to call on the name of the Lord, to make that plea for mercy, to take it to the Lord in prayer. In the New Testament, James writes in chapter 4, You do not have because you do not ask God. Now, we have to understand that properly. God does not say yes to every one of our prayers. But listen, we need to talk to him, to pray to him. It can be a quick prayer and the challenge or the opportunity as we face trouble or have an opportunity. It could be longer, more thoughtful prayers when we sit down and engage with him in the morning or at night or some other time. I know we're all busy, but I would encourage you, if you're not doing it already, to set aside time to engage with God, to plead for mercy for yourself or others. Are we too busy to pray? Think about that for a moment, to pray to the Lord. Are we too busy? Consider this quotation from Martin Luther, who had enormous responsibilities as he led the church in returning to salvation by grace and faith, he said, quote, I am so busy that if I did not spend three hours each day in prayer, I could not get through the day, end quote. Martin Luther was too busy not to pray. So take it to the Lord in prayer. As the hymn says, oh, what peace we often forfeit Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That's our first point, the call for mercy. The second point is God's goodness and graciousness. Why should we take everything to God in prayer? It only makes sense because God is good. He's 100% good. One who hears our prayers and acts on them. Verse 1, it says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice. 
verse 2, he inclined his ear to me. God tilted his head and looked at me wherever I am. Think of that for a moment. He made the earth and the heavens, the sky, the sea, the moon and the stars, and he turned to me. He turns his head, one of the billions of people, and listens to me. He pays attention to me. And on the basis of that, David says, or rather the psalmist says, I will call on him, verse 2, I will call on him as long as I live. So he hears our prayers. That's one indication of his goodness and gracious. But then look at verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. God is merciful. Our God is merciful. This is the heart of the psalm. Whatever the psalmist was going through, and whatever you and I are going through, if we remember that our God is gracious and righteous and merciful, then go to him and we will be enabled to survive, including in this time of COVID. Let's examine those words. Grace and mercy are close in meaning. Grace lays out God's bounty and generosity in hearing us and in answering us. Mercy has to do more with not treating us as our sins deserve. I often go to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't deserve this, or so-and-so doesn't deserve this. But in your mercy, will you please grant this prayer? By the way, any of you who are named John or Johanna might know that embedded in your name is the Hebrew word for grace, Hanan. John or Johanan and Johanna mean Yahweh or Jehovah is Hanan. The Lord is gracious. It's just a little aside, good names. And I know that we have lots of parents or would-be parents, so maybe that's a name you'd like to give your child. I'm not suggesting you do, but it's a nice name. But what do we make of the word righteous? Sandwiched between grace and mercy. Why does it make sense for us to appeal to God's justice or righteousness in asking for help? Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Listen carefully because I think it's a powerful concept. First, we can go to God and say, Father, you've told us to pray to you, to cast all our cares on you. Will you now hear me because you are righteous? And secondly, and this is revolutionary, I believe we can say, Jesus, you've already paid for my sins when you died on the cross. The sins are paid for. It would be double punishment it would be unrighteous of you to hold me guilty for the sins that you've already paid for. I'm pleading your blood in coming to you and your righteousness because you died for me. Will you come to my relief? Turn back to Psalm 143, if you will. We read that a little bit. Psalm 143 says, Hear my prayers, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. and your faithfulness answer me. In your righteousness. And the very next verse he says, he shows that it's not because of his righteousness. He says, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. So it's got to be on the basis of 
Jesus' sacrifice or the sacrifice looking forward to Jesus at the time. And therefore we can plead boldly as if we were his spotless children. In your righteousness, come to my relief. My friends, we serve a gracious, righteous, and merciful God. He longs to show us mercy. Let us be bold and go to him. Look what else it says in verse 6 of chapter 116, of Psalm 116. The Lord preserves the simple. If we come to him with simple trust, he hears us. If we come to him as our daddy, like a little child, he is pleased to listen to us. Now this is really important. We don't need PhDs. We don't need money. We don't need to have figured it out. We simply need to say, Lord, help. And now I want to speak to those of us who are not Christ followers. You may have done a lot of thinking. You may have important jobs. You may have done a lot for causes you consider important. You may even have been brought up in the church and know a lot about Jesus, but based on your education or your choices, you have decided against following him. Do not get me wrong. Careful thinking is valuable. I believe the evidence is overwhelming in favor of the Bible and Christianity. That's why Oxford professor C.S. Lewis became a Christian. He went kicking and screaming, but it was because the evidence was too strong not to believe. But I realize C.S. Lewis's story is not the story of everyone by a long shot. And I would urge you not to let your education or anything else get in the way of the most beautiful story that there is. The story of God reaching out, rescuing us rebels, and delivering our souls from death, our eyes from tears, and our feet from stumbling, and giving us the opportunity to live with us, and live with him, rather, in paradise forever, because he protects the simple, a simple faith. We see the psalmist reflecting the story in verse 7. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. The Lord is a good God. It's truly a beautiful story, a story of rest and peace. I urge you, don't wait to say, okay, I believe. Tell him. Tell him you want to turn from your old ways and follow him. You won't regret it, I promise you. So, he listens to us. He is gracious and righteous and merciful, and he protects the simple. One final aside before we leave this point on God's goodness. What does it mean in verse 15 where it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That verse was brought home to me the first time when my father died at the age of 58, when I was just 23. People wrote it in condolence cards to the family, and it was comforting. But just what does it mean? Does it mean that he wants his saints to die? Is that why, is that why it's precious? Isaiah 57.1 says that devout people are taken away to be spared from evil, or to be spared from calamity. 
perhaps the burden would be too great for some to bear. In that sense, for them, it's merciful to take them. There are some who think that another way to look at verse 15 is to say that the Lord views the death of his people as costly. That is, he values their work on earth and it costs the Lord to lose us on earth. He doesn't want their death. Whatever the exact meaning, and I'm not sure exactly what it is, we can be sure that if we believe in him, our good God will keep us here until our work on earth is done. We will not die prematurely. And then he will give us a royal welcome into heaven. As the great preacher uh, Spurgeon said, they shall be immortal till their work is done. And when their time shall come, shall, and then when their time shall come to die, then their deaths shall be precious. So where have we come so far? We've seen first a call for mercy, second God's goodness, and now we look at our, our response. The simplest and most important response for those who believe is to love the Lord. That's the opening words of the psalm. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. It gives great God no greater joy than to have us love him. It's the first and greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. He loves our love. It's a compelling reason for us to set aside time just for him and us alone. You can tell him you love him. Just tell him that, I love you, Lord. You can tell him why. Just like a child on his or her dad's lap. Love the Lord. Second, keep coming back for more. Look verse 2. Therefore, because he is inclined to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Rather than saying, okay, I don't want to bother you any further, we get emboldened to keep coming back. He doesn't mind. In fact, he minds if we ignore him. It shows what we think of him when we go to him again and again and tell him that we need him. A third kind of response is to return to our quiet rest. Verse 7, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Remember what Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is not a killjoy. Jesus said that he has come that, he, that we might have life, that we might have it abundantly. He wants us to rest. He wants us to have peace, but we need to trust him to do that. A fourth kind of response is that we should acknowledge and celebrate the Lord. The psalmist asked in verse 12, what he can do to repay him. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I can't repay him, but here's what I can do. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. What does that mean? The cup of salvation may have been a cup of, of 
that was used in drink offerings, pouring out uh, offerings under the Old Testament system. It could be referring to a cup they would raise at Passover. It certainly would seem to have meaning to us when we take the wine at the Lord's Supper. The wine refers to the salvation that we have through Jesus' blood. And then in verses 17 and 19, it says, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Now, interesting point here. Did you notice that this is stuff that we do when we are together? In your courts when we're with others, in the presence of all his people. It shows the value that Frankie was speaking of, of gathering together, of physically gathering to worship, of joining small groups, of taking the Lord's Supper. Remember Hebrews 10 that Frankie was reading from and the assurance of pardon. What is the reason that God, that the author tells us not to stop meeting together? Hint, it's not to hear the sermon, as critically as important as that is. You may say, I've listened to a sermon online, I'm good. But it's not all about you. The reason it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. It's to encourage each other and by implication to be encouraged yourself. That's why it's been so marvelous as we've come back together, come back on this field to see each other and to see people before the service and after their service going over and seeing how they're doing and finding out what they can praise the Lord for and pray to the Lord for. Now more than ever, after one and a half years apart, we need to be back together again in each other's homes here on Sunday morning so that we can encourage one another. For some of you, I know that tiny groups did not work out. Some of you all were all Zoomed out. You couldn't handle another Zoom meeting. I get that. We hope that in-person meetings will work out this coming year and that you will be able to join because we need to tell others what the Lord has done. We want to hear good news stories. Call upon me in the day of trouble, David says in Psalm 50, or the Spirit inspired David to say in Psalm 50. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Now, you may be shy or modest. You don't want to brag. But telling good news stories about what God has done is really important to give him proper credit and also to encourage each of us. I want to close with two good news stories. I was over at Jonathan and Chelsea's house and I noticed that they placed their swing, not in the backyard, but a big swing set right in the corner, right next to the street. And I said, what a great way to meet the neighbors. A few weeks later, Chelsea related to me how she had met so many neighbors through the swings that she started a notebook. She writes down the kids' names and the parents' names and the dogs' names. And then we were over there. They had us over as a gesture of hospitality, Peter and me, uh, this past week. And I saw it. 
people are walking by and she just, they'd stop to see and it's just a marvelous way. That's an encouraging, an encouragement, a good news story. Two, two nights ago at the campfire Bible reading, two friends described why they stayed at Resurrection Church after their first visits here. One of them said, Gerda, Gerda waved at me from across the parking lot and later she invited me over for dinner. You know what the other friend said? Because Gerda invited me over for dinner. <laughs> it made me burst out laughing. It was such a beautiful story, beautiful accounts. Let us encourage each other with such good stories. Let us spur one another on to love and good deeds and tell us and tell of what the Lord has done. In conclusion, a brief summary. First, call upon the Lord. Why? Because he is gracious and righteous and merciful. And as a result, let us love the Lord. Let us keep calling on him, return to our quiet rest, and come together to acknowledge and celebrate the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I love you. We love you. We collectively, the scores of us here, those of us online, we tell you, we love you. We thank you that you have inclined your ear to us. You've tilted your head to us and listened to us. And that because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can go boldly right into, this, into the sanctuary and talk to you, the Lord of the universe. We thank you that you have answered us in so many different ways, that you've kept us from stumbling, you've delivered us from death, you've wiped away our tears. Lord, I, I know that there might be some here who don't know you yet. Oh Lord, will you be very gracious to them and give them the faith to say, yes, right now, I love you, Lord, I surrender. And Lord, some of our hearts are breaking. Some of us are drowning. Oh Lord, the rock of our salvation, will you please hoist us up and give us a firm place to stand. Some of our friends and family we long for to return, to know you. Some of our marriages are in trouble. All these things that we've discussed, oh Lord, we need your help. We pray for us individually, for our families, for our friends for our city, for our country. In Jesus' name, amen.